Hey, thanks for downloading this week's podcast from Relevant Church. We are so thrilled and excited to see what God has planned for your life through this message. We know you're going to enjoy it. Sit back, relax. God bless. So John chapter 3 is where we're at. Last week we left off on uh, verse 8. We're going to continue today on verse 9. What we do is we teach through books of the Bible, verse upon verse. God wrote it that way. I think he wants us to understand it that way. And so that's how we roll here at Relevant Church. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go ahead and jump right in. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that your word is not just information, but it's transformation that leads to salvation. Thank you so much that you're into salvation. You're into saving people who are deadmost, who are guttermost, who are completely lost. That is exactly what you came here for. And so, God, as we read the words of life and hear from your spirit, I ask that you just... Give us life. Fill us this morning. And we also pray for all the other churches that are preaching your gospel this morning. We lift up Sandals, Harvest, The Grove, Magnolia Baptist, uh, the, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, Pentecostals, and Charismatics. We lift up Calvary Chapel, Lord. We also lift up our Catholic brothers and sisters, our Seventh-day Adventist brothers and sisters. We ask that you bless and, and that your word penetrates the souls of all those you are saving. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. So... John chapter 3 verse 9 reads like this, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Now, if you remember last week, what took place is that Nicodemus has snuck in to visit Jesus at night. He comes in and, and he asks Jesus, actually he tells Jesus, we know, and kind of like a really bougie, some of you don't know what bougie is, but this is what bougie is. We know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do the things that you do. I don't know why they always kind of have a little hum when you're bougie. No one can do the things that you do unless they're from God. And Jesus responds to his statement by saying, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And so Nicodemus is like, how does that work? Do you expect an old man to crawl back into his mother's womb in order to be born again? And Jesus reiterates and answers again, says, listen, you have to be born of water and, and, and spirit. You have to be born again. And so to this statement, Nicodemus is like, how can these things be? The other day I was hanging out with my friend Mark and Angelina. They serve on the uh, welcome team, on the worship team. They serve all over here at Relevant Church. They're like our favorite people. But they came over to the house and uh, their, uh, Angelina's son, I think he's about five years old, was there. His name is Christian. And we were hanging out. And, and I love to tell stories to little five-year-olds because I can be the hero, you know. And so I, I, I was telling him something, and I said, listen, Christian, when it's dark, I turn into Superman. And he looked at me and was like, dude, come on. When a five-year-old says that to you, I mean, that's like literally like your ego just comes down like, okay, he's called my bluff. <laughs> I don't know what he was thinking. He's like, Superman's not black. (laughs) Fine, I'm (laughs) Spider-Man. He has a full mask. You don't know what he is. (laughs) But he was like, dude, come on. He knew what what I was saying was too good to be true. It was was out of this world. And so Nicodemus has this, this experience, this conversation with Jesus where Jesus basically says, your method of coming to God is bankrupt 
And the method by which you enter into his kingdom, that you see his kingdom, is by being born again. And, and Jesus does not expect Nicodemus to kind of just guess and, and figure it out on his own. What Jesus is saying is that, listen, the method by which you come into the kingdom of God is something that you have been studying all your life. Your entire uh, career is based on this. And so he quotes from the Old Testament. He says you have to be born of water and spirit. Quoting from Ezekiel, talking about how the water, God, the, God will sprinkle clean water and he'll give this, take this heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. And he'll give us his spirit, which regenerates us individually. Nicodemus was like, no, I've mastered the law. I've memorized scripture. I've sang scripture. I have good credit. I am the poster boy for good people in Israel. Don't you know, Jesus, that I am part of the 70 men that, that all the Jews listen to? Jesus is like, you have to be born again. How can these things be? See, the greatest lie that the devil has promoted from, from the time that Adam and Eve fell into sin is the lie that states that you and I can come to God on our own terms. You ever meet people like, you know, what are you doing? Oh, I'm searching for God. Where are you searching for him? In the mountains. I, I, I'm searching for God. The way that I experience God is through meditation. I experience, I'm searching for, I'm, I'm trying to figure God out. I'm reading all these different philosophies. And, and, the, and that's the biggest lie that the enemy has told humanity, that you can come to God on your own terms, on your own righteousness, on your good deeds. And what we discover is that our terms, our righteousness, what we do is bankrupt. It's shallow. Jesus, in verse 10, answered him and said, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Everyone say, that's a diss. That's a diss right there. Um, those of you who don't know what a diss is, it's um, urbandictionary.com. can help you out with that. Jesus basically is like, yo, you're the teacher of Israel, and you don't get this? Are you, are you kidding me? See, you remember when, when Nicodemus came to Jesus, he said, we know that you are a teacher come from God. How many of you guys know there's a difference between a teacher and the teacher? So Jesus is like, you're the teacher. You called me just another teacher, a teacher, but you're the teacher. You're the one who has the, who, who's the, who has the title that says reverend, doctor, apostle, prophet, professor of religion, systematic theology of all of Israel, and you don't get this stuff. You missed it. You've got knowledge. You've got all this kind of learning. You've done all that you can, but you cannot perceive these things. What's up with that? My first point to you is this. Religion leads to unbelief. Religion leads to unbelief. You can be devoted to, to rituals, devoted to, to, to places and things, devoted to going on a pilgrimage somewhere in order to experience some sort of religious experience, devoted to, to not eating these foods and eating these foods and, and observing these holidays and not observing these holidays. You can be devoted to your church, your better Baptist of the God of the Holy Spirit, of the temple of worship where people are righteous and sanctified, Church of God in Christ of Bethlehem. 
worship center. You can be devoted to all those things. And you're devoted to your religion. And your religion will lead you to unbelief because your religion is all about what I do, what I earn. If I do this, then God is pleased. If I give this much, then God will bless me. If I do this, then then God will accept me and give me a nice teddy bear hug. If if I do this, it's all about what I do. And, and, And Christianity is not about religion. It's about relationship. We'll get to that in a few moments. But religion leads you to unbelief because the moment that Jesus says to you, you can't do nothing, you're like, but look at all the work I've done. And you land in a place we call unbelief. Jesus says, you're the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things. Verse 11, he gets serious. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, some translations, it's amen, amen. You know, it's kind of interesting. Normally in church or in uh, religious circles, we like to say amen after we've hear, heard the point, right? But when Jesus is speaking, he just says it preemptively. This is going to be good. Listen up. Amen, amen. Here's the fact. He doesn't need your amen. He doesn't need you to agree with his word. His word stands by itself. He says, truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you. Everyone say he's speaking to me. You see, what's happening here is that this conversation has been happening between Nicodemus and Jesus. And every time that he's mentioned the word you, along up to this point, has been in the singular, where it looks as if he's speaking to Nicodemus. But when he gets to verse 11, the you becomes plural because he's no longer just speaking to Nicodemus, but he's speaking to all of us. This is for us to take in, for us to receive. Truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Kind of reminds me of what happened in in John chapter 1 where where, where it talks about how how Christ um, uh, came into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. He came to us. He created us. We belong to him. And when he came to us, generally speaking, we were looking at our religion, our unbelief, our belief in ourself as opposed to him who made us. And so we rejected him. And he says, listen, Nicodemus, what I'm talking about is what we know. Who's the we? The we some commentators have said that it's, it's Jesus and his disciples. But we, know, we, we have a little insight when you read the, the Gospels. The, the disciples were morons. The disciples were dumb. I mean, I mean like, I, when I get to heaven, that's probably going to be the first conversation I have with a disciple. Like, dude, why didn't you get it? I mean, clearly Jesus was God. I mean, Jesus would be talking to his disciples saying, guys, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going there. You're going to betray me. I'm going to be spat upon. They're going to pull my beard. I'm going to be delivered over to the Romans, and then I'm going to be crucified. And his disciples would be like, well, Jesus, can, can, can one of us sit on your left side and your, the other side? My brother sit on your right side, Jesus. I mean, like, that's like, uh, like beyond, like, you know, that's lack of understanding right there, right? So when he says, we know what we talk about, we know what we speak. He clearly cannot be discussing the disciples. 
what he's discovering here, what he's delivering is a revelation that Jesus is speaking. As a matter of fact, in John, the Gospel of John, this is where we discover insights like this, where, the, where Jesus says, I and the Father are one. This is where we start discovering ideas and, and, and concepts and facts that tell us that, that Jesus only spoke the things that the Father told him to speak because him and the Father were one. And so when Jesus says, we speak what we know, what we testify to is what we've experienced, he's saying, I'm coming to you and I'm speaking on behalf of the Trinity. This is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit speaking here. Here's a secondary application to this. For those who have yet to taste Jesus, who have yet to cross over from death to life, Whenever you share the words of life, the words of God, normally they'll respond in the same manner that Nicodemus responded. How does that work? How does that make sense? But because you have accepted the truth of who God is and now he's your Lord and your Savior, you have an experience that you can testify to. Sort of like how the disciples could share and declare that we who have entered into life with God have seen his glory. We have experienced him. We've tasted and seen that God is good. Amen? You know, th- this week I, I read an interesting article uh, concerning a, a, a new phenomenon that, that started in, in England, I believe. And apparently, the atheists and the agnostics have began to meet on Sundays. And they've started the first atheist megachurch. And they gather on Sundays to celebrate unbelief. I can go to every Christian Bible-believing church around the world, in China, in Bangladesh, in Africa, and in, a, in an assembly of people who, who believe in Jesus, there's always a testimony that says, I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. But I can go to an assembly of unbelief and not hear a testimony such as that. Because they have not seen, they have not experienced, they can't have anything to testify to. Jesus says, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how can, I believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? What verse 12 Jesus is saying is this, is like, listen, man, we've been talking I'm a little tired. I'm telling you things that, that, that I know that I have authority to speak on. I, I've just discussed with you things that are on the earth. Things that you can perceive. You remember that illustration from last week where he, where he told uh, Nicodemus, he says, listen, the wind blows wherever it blows. And, and we don't know where it's coming from. We don't know where it's going. But we see the result of the wind. That's an earthly thing. We, we can perceive that. We know that when someone has had an experience with Jesus, we don't know how that experience came about. We don't know how they, they figured it out. We don't know exactly the mechanics of salvation. But what we do know is that they once were nasty, but now they are nasty. They once were, but now they've been changed. They used to do this. They used to think this way. But something happened along the way. 
and they've been changed. And so he says, if you can't understand, if you can't perceive the change that is evident, how are you going to even start figuring out how God does it? I'm starting a trend where pastors are honest. I don't understand how salvation happens. I really, I really don't. I can't tell you exactly how and when God captures your heart and how. I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and she was like, she was telling me how how uh, she had been, she had a coworker or or, or a student who was uh, a Christian, and she was not a Christian. She was anti-Christians, but in that relationship, one day she just saw her lips moving, kind of had an outer body experience where she just saw herself saying, "What would it be like if I came to your church?" What would it be like if I came to your church? She was like, I can't believe I just said that. And then she said, and then, so I said, so did you go to church? She says, yes, I went to church that week. Did you go again the following week? She says, yes, because when I went to church that day, God captured my heart. I was like, well, how did it happen? Well, I was sitting there, and I heard what the pastor was saying. And the pastor said, if God is speaking to your heart, you can receive him right now. And, and she said she lost feeling to her body, and she just saw herself saying, I like Jesus. <laughs> so she went to the prayer room, and they were telling her things and reading scripture to her. All she saw was, <laughs> she can't tell me exactly how it happened, but I know by looking at her life. That she's not who she used to be. She's someone else. And here's the thing about it is that, is that we don't demand perfection here. Because, <laughs> oh man, Jesus can start you over here. But once you're in, you're in. You may have a long way to go still, but you're in. You're in. Amen. That's good news, right? I've been in settings where, where the moment you come in here, they're like, okay, you need to change your dress code. You need to take off your tattoos. You need to take off your hat. You need to change this, change that, change that. You need to start living in this neighborhood. Can't hang out with those people. <sighs> You're like, I, I just got in. <laughs> can't smoke, can't chew, can't people go with people to do. And you got to know all these verses. You got to do all this. Stuff. And this, the, the moment you, you step into this and, and that starts happening, they're pushing you back into religion. Because Jesus says you've stepped out of death and into life. You guys with me? Jesus goes on and says, verse 13, he says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from from heaven, the Son of Man. This is one of those texts that you probably just read through when you're reading John chapter 3. But Jesus is making an incredible claim right there. Like this is like an incredible. Jesus saying this is basically shorthand saying that I was the word that was, the word that is, and the word that has become flesh. He's saying that, that you've heard all these stories and these mythologies of, of people who claim that they, they were at Starbucks one morning and they had the triple latte, chocolate latte mocha, whatever it is. 
And they took a sip, and immediately they were taken up into the third heaven. And God sat them down and started telling them mysteries. And now they've come back to show you the way. No, they were just high on caffeine. That was one too many shots, okay? At this time in Judaism, what was taking place is that there were people who were claiming that they had these extraterrestrial experiences with with God where they they were taken up and and God gave them the revelation and they'd come back. And so Jesus is saying, listen, nobody has ascended to heaven except him who has come from heaven. He's saying, I'm not from earth. Heaven is my home. I've come down here to tell you the way it is. You know, like... uh, can we go ahead and, like, you know, step on some toes right now? I'm about to, like, you know, just tick you off because I'm about to step on the toes of your favorite author. There are books that are written out there about I was, in, I was five, five hours in heaven. Thirty days and wherever it was. And, and as well-meaning as those books are, Jesus says no one has ascended and come back down except the Son of Man. The major cults, or so-called Christian cults, were founded by people who claimed their prophetic authority came because God had a special visitation with them and showed them things. The angel took me, and we passed Uranus and Jupiter And we passed another planet. And there he began to reveal to me as I saw a glow around this part of the Ten Commandments. And now I've come to give you the truth. No one has ascended except the Son who has descended. This is a big claim. My my authority, Jesus is saying, my authority to speak is based on the fact that I came from heaven and heaven is my home and I have the authority to give you the methods and the conditions by which you can be saved. Don't listen. Don't lean on your own understanding. Forget what the so-called prophets have told you. Listen to me. In times past, Hebrews 1.1 says, in times past, God spoke through our fathers and the prophets. In these last days, he has spoken once and for all through Jesus. Listen to him. Don't listen to anybody else's revelation. Listen to the revelation that's found in Jesus. He's the only one that ascended and descended. You guys with me? And so he gets to verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must also the Son of Man be lifted up. Right there in one sentence. In one sentence, Jesus answers the question of the ages. He's saying, listen, just Nicodemus, you know what I'm talking about. You've read this story to your kids at night about how there was this. this, Okay, I'll tell you the story. See, here's what's happening. The, The children of Israel are delivered from Egypt, from slavery. And when they're delivered, uh, God takes them out into the wilderness. The, the, the trip from, from Egypt to the promised land was seven days. Obviously, nobody had invented an app for that to, to give them directions because they could have made it in seven days. It took them 40 years. I have it in my heart that they were probably following a woman. But um, <laughs> I just lost like half of you. 
After service, I'll be at the VIP lounge. You can punch me. <laughs> Beth's looking at me like, you said that, Pastor, and I'm going to put you in a headlock. <laughs> a seven-day journey takes some 40 years. 40 years in the wilderness. And as they're in the wilderness, after God has miraculously delivered them from Egypt, they didn't do a single thing for their deliverance. They didn't fight the Pharaoh and his army. They didn't, do a sing- they didn't lift a finger. God single-handedly by his hand delivers them, which is a picture of how you and I are saved. It is completely a sovereign act of God working in our lives. It's not like you and I just saying, mm, I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to work it out. Oh, I'm working so hard, Jesus. P90X, CrossFit in order to get into kingdom of God. It's completely a work that he does in our hearts and we walk into his finished work. Y'all with me? So they're delivered from Egypt and then they start complaining. Sort of like how we do. Man, the onions in, in Egypt were good, man. I miss in and out That was this in and out this burger joint in Egypt. And God's like, are you serious right now? You've got to be kidding me. So in Numbers, it tells us that the Israelites were complaining, and God sent fiery serpents. Everywhere these guys looked, there was a serpent. You're changing a baby's diaper, boom, the serpent. You put some bread in the toaster, pops out a serpent. You open the closet, serpents. Everywhere there were serpents. And, and the serpent was some symbology that, 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 that was referring back to sin because it was a serpent that spoke to Eve and Adam that brought sin in. And so it's, it's a great picture of the infection of sin, how it's everywhere. And they were getting bitten. And so Moses goes to, to God and says, God, we got to do something. The people are dying. The World Health Organization has called and is like, this is, we've never seen anything like this before. It's what's happening. So God says, listen, here's what you're going to do. Build a bronze serpent. Okay, all right, God, you want me to take the, the, the image of what's killing them and make a bronze statue of it? Yes, I want you to, to, to do that. Then put it in the center of the camp and raise it up so that everyone can see it. Now, here's how they're going to get saved. Here's how they're going to live. If they just glance at it, they'll be healed immediately. You mean, you mean what if they got bit like close to their heart? Doesn't matter. What if they've been bitten more than once? Doesn't matter. What if they got bit by a baby snake who has more venom in it? Doesn't matter. All they have to do is look at what I've provided for their salvation and they will live. That's all they have to do. Okay, all right, God, I'll go tell him that. So Moses goes and tells the people, he's like, listen, all you got to do, see that serpent over there? All you got to do is look at it, and you'll be, I would have been like, that is freaking absurd, man. That's the dumbest thing I've ever, come on, dude. How can that be? That doesn't make sense. My, my Uncle Steve is here, and because uh, family's in the house, I can talk about this. I have, I, I, grew, I, I was born in Southeast Africa, and there's something about Africans is this. There's always an auntie or an uncle who knows how to create some sort of potion that will heal you of your pimples. Oh, you got an outbreak? I know what you need to do. Just go to the, just go to the woods and find a root. What kind of root? It has to be a red root because your pimples are red. 
Get that root, bring it to your house at 5 o'clock, not 5.05, 5 o'clock because the sun is right there. Start peeling it. Peel it, peel it, peel it, peel it. And you have peeled it, take the peelings and crush them till there's liquefying. Okay, and then what? Rub it on your skin as you are boiling the root and inhaling the steam. <laughs> Two days and you will be fine. No pimples. You go on a date, you'll be good. There's always that one person. It's not just Africans. I know some Greek people who put some Windex on you real quick. <laughs> Mexicans got it too, man. I mean, I've been in some Mexican homes. They're like, you know, drink this stuff. It's green. It's like, drink all of it, Jose. <laughs> the Israelites probably had those types of aunties and uncles. What did Moses say? He said, just look at the bronze. Don't listen to Moses, man. Just, just go to the woods and do this. Well, I'm sure there was somebody who says, you know what, I've written a book, five ways to, to get healed from a snake bite. I'm sure there was somebody who was like, you know, all you have to do is start saying to yourself, there is no snake, there is no serpent, there aren't, they don't exist. Keep saying that over and over again, and you won't ever see a snake in your path. Mankind will come up with all kinds of methods that make more sense than the simple believe. And the simple look at what God has done. Stop looking at what you can do. Stop looking at your situation and your wounds and trying to fix it on yourself. Just turn to what Jesus has done. Second point is that right believing leads to eternal life. It's not about right doing. It's about right believing. It's not about right knowing. It's about right believing. God does not expect you to know all the mysteries of Scripture. If you can believe it, that's all there is. The children of Israelite weren't expected to have full, complete belief in what God had done. They just had to have simple belief. And look. What a perfect example, because the Bible tells us that he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took on the image and the likeness of sinful man in order to save man from their sin. Romans tells us that he became a curse in order that he may save those who are under the curse of the law. The image of the serpent in the desert was a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do for you and I. In that on the cross, he took on your sin, though he himself had no sin. He took on your shame, though he himself deserved no shame. And all you have to do is look at what God has provided, and you will be saved. He says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, the Son of Man must be lifted up. That whoever knows, believes. That whoever does, that whoever works hard at it, that whoever observes these five laws, that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. The word eternal life has its first introduction in this text right there. And eternal life literally means the, the, the life in the coming age. 
life in the coming age. And, and I, I used to think that this, this type of life was a life that would take place when, when I was, you know, like after I died, then I'd face God, and then God would look at all my good deeds and, and put it on a balance and say, okay, all right. Oh, you said sorry for that one, so we'll take that point away. And if I had enough good points, I'd get in. But in John 5, 24, Jesus says this. Whoever believes steps out of death and has passed into life. Eternal life that Jesus is speaking about here is not something that we have to wait for. It's something that you and I get to experience now. The moment we believe, we enter into it now. Now you're wondering, what is this eternal life? Glad you asked. Jesus defines what eternal life is. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying the high priestly prayer. And he says this in John 17 verse 3. I'll turn there and look, look at it real quick. Jesus says, and this is eternal life. And this is eternal life. You want to know what eternal life is? Here it is. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is that we know the true God and Jesus Christ, the Son that he has sent. Now, I, I know that you're looking at like, oh, well, I, I, know, I, I know God. I, I, I know him. I, I know of Jesus. But the word know there has an ancient definition that is not like the Western postmodern definition of knowledge of something. Jesus is speaking the same terms that, that is wrote, written of in, in, in Genesis chapter 2 where it says that Adam knew his wife Eve. It's speaking about intimate relationship. This is eternal life, that you may have intimate relationship with God and Jesus Christ, his son. That you may have intimate relationship with God and Jesus Christ, his son. Which brings me to point number three, my last point. Eternal life. It's about right relationship. It's not about right doing. It's not about right knowledge, right righteousness of your own. It's about you having relationship with Jesus Christ. Today is a great day because some of you are going to step out of death and into life in a few moments. Maybe God has already started that work. I know this, if, that, if you knew that you walked in here as a skeptic and a doubter, sort of like how Nicodemus walked in, but you've been open to the words that you've been hearing, Jesus Christ, through his Holy Spirit, has begun a work that he is faithful to complete. Today is your day of salvation. And so if you find yourself soft to this word, opening yourself up to it, the Holy Spirit is pulling you. He's calling you. You're not expected to do something 
weird and, and ritualistic. It's not calling you to religion. It's just asking you to believe in what Christ has done on the cross. To believe that he took on your sin, took on your shame, and became the image of it. And by believing, you step out of death and into life. By believing it, you have right relationship with God. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray, and as I pray, God's gonna do his thing in your heart. You have an opportunity to respond to him by giving him your heart. If you're a believer, you have the opportunity to just give him, give him your best. All of us can take a step this morning. Let's pray. God, you've spoken to us. God, you know the doubts. You you know all the questions that we have. Lord, we don't come here with anything good on our own, but we come with hearts that are saying, we don't fully understand it, but Lord, we're willing to believe you. God, there's some in this room right now whom you've moved on their hearts and they're, they're ready to make that, that point of decision where they cross out of death and into life by believing in you. Lord, I ask that you just continue to work on those hearts right now. And if that person is you, may you not be like Nicodemus who just questions out of knowledge and questions out of his own works. But may you be like those who turned and looked at the bronze serpent and turn right now and look at Jesus who became sin that you may experience his righteousness, who died for you so that you may have eternal life with him. May you turn into belief right now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. For more information, visit Relevant316.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We hope you have a wonderful day and God bless.